It's a privilege to be bringing God's word to you today. This is a big passage, so let's pray as we approach it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us in your word by your spirit. Help us each to understand what you're saying to us tonight and help me to explain it truly and faithfully. Let your word dwell richly in our hearts and let anything I say which is not from you be forgotten. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm a Christian camp junkie. Whether it's youth camps, uni students, church camp, I love going away with a bunch of Christians for a few days to spend some time together digging into God's word and having fun and fellowship. And something I particularly love about camps is when I'm part of a really good leadership team on a youth camp. That's because that's the place where I clearest see a diverse group of people with different gifts working together to serve Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing to witness, and it makes me so thankful for all the people that God has given different gifts and personalities to me. Because camp wouldn't work if it was just me. If we had a youth camp that was just run by Andreas's, Yes, we would play epic games and have great Bible and theology chats, but we'd be really miserable at welcoming people. There would be no one to play sport with the energetic kids. We'd be singing along to just a flute, and if anyone needed first aid, we'd be in trouble. I have gifts, and I have areas that I'm rubbish at. Praise God that not everyone is the same as me and that he organises youth camps with a range of leaders with a range of different gifts. Now, this passage tonight might raise a lot of questions for you about spiritual gifts and the spirit, and we'll deal with those as we go, but at the heart of this chapter is a beautiful picture of diverse parts divinely united together into one body of Christ. A beautiful picture of diverse people caring for and serving each other for the common good. We can see this picture on a good youth camp, but this is primarily a picture of the local church, of us, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. Now, this is a big passage, and it breaks into five sections, so have your Bibles open as we go, and follow along with me as we hear five truths from God about his spirit, spiritual gifts, and the body of Christ. First up, in verses 1 to 3, Paul invites us to recognise the Spirit's work by expressing submission to Christ. The Corinthian church has asked Paul questions about spiritual gifts, and we don't know exactly what those questions are, but Paul has clearly taken this as an opportunity to reorient the Corinthians' thinking about this topic. And the first thing that Paul wants them and us to get about the Spirit is that you can recognise the Spirit's work by people submitting to Jesus Christ as Lord. Many of the Corinthians weren't Jews. They once worshipped false idols. And those idols, they can't say anything and they have no power in themselves, as we saw in chapter 8, but people are still influenced by them. When they're caught up in worship, they might feel that they've had a spiritual experience. They might feel that they've been given words to speak. And people might attribute similar experiences to the work of the Spirit. But such feelings 
don't guarantee that the Holy Spirit's actually at work. Rather, Paul says, we recognize the Spirit's work when people confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Verse 3. Now, Paul isn't talking about people just saying those words. Anyone can articulate that sentence. He's talking about people fully submitting to Jesus' lordship. So this start to the passage already corrects a few misconceptions about the Spirit. Since people can only say and mean that Jesus is Lord by the Spirit, this means that every Christian has the Holy Spirit. You can't be a Christian and then need some second-level top-up, some power-up to receive the Spirit later. If you're trusting in Jesus, you have the Spirit. And if you have the Spirit, you're trusting in Jesus. Also, the most important words that the Spirit gives us to speak are, Jesus is Lord. When we get to chapter 14, Paul's going to address speaking in tongues and prophecy. But more important than either of those is that the Spirit brings us to faith in the Lord Jesus. If you're here tonight and you're not living with Jesus as your Lord, it's great to have you here And I hope this Bible passage helps you understand more of what it could mean to live with Jesus as Lord. But parts of this passage are not going to make much sense until you're living with Jesus as the ruler of your life. And if you are confessing Jesus as Lord, you can rejoice that you've got the Spirit at work in you. So as we learn about spiritual gifts in Christ's body in this chapter, remember where it all begins recognize the Spirit's work by expressing submission to Christ. Second, in verses 4 to 11, Paul encourages us to serve as God's gifted you for the common good. In verses 4 to 6, we see that spiritual gifts are a whole trinity operation. The Spirit, the Lord Jesus, and God the Father. There's diversity and unity in the Godhead, and in Christ's church. There are different kinds of gifts, service, working, but the same triune God is behind it all. Now, this and the fact that we get one list of gifts here and a different list of gifts at the other end of the passage clues us in that there are more gifts than either list. There are loads and loads of gifts, and identifying them all is not the point. Paul's given us two sets of examples here, and he gives us another set of examples in Romans 12 and another set in Ephesians 4. So I don't think we're meant to put all these sets together and say, these are the 20-something spiritual gifts, that's all. The lists we have in the New Testament are indicative of the ways that we can be gifted or serve or work for the common good. Verse 7 is really key in this passage. Each and every Christian has a manifestation of the Spirit, i.e. has at least one spiritual gift, and that's being given for the common good. It's not, I have the gift of teaching, look how great a teacher I am. It's not about what's good for me. It's about what's good for the body, for us. Because it's not like my gift is something that I earned or worked out myself. It's being graciously given to me by God for the good of his body. And if you look at verses 8 to 10, the way that Paul says, to one is given, to another, helps us see three things. There are a lot of different gifts. Every Christian is gifted. 
and there's no gift given to every Christian, something that Paul's going to reiterate in verses 29 and 30. And that's a design feature in God's church. We all have different gifts, so we need each other to actively serve. None of us is a one-man band. And verse 11 says we don't get to pick our gifts. It's the Spirit who distributes them to each person as he wills. As you look at the example lists here, you might have questions about what some of these things are. Steve Young will talk more about prophecy in tongues when he preaches on chapter 14. Others, like gifts of healing and miraculous powers, we see examples of in the New Testament. They're primarily used to witness to Jesus. So we've got a fair idea of what they could look like. Some, like a message of knowledge or a message of wisdom, Paul never explains. I'm very happy to chat afterwards if you want to think more about what that could be. I've got ideas, but there's just not enough to be certain. The one gift I want to comment on in this list here is faith in verse 9. All Christians have faith. That's the Spirit's work in us. We saw that in verse 3. The Spirit works in us so we can say Jesus is Lord. So Paul's not talking about saving faith here in verse 9, but something different. Have you ever met a Christian who has a deep, powerful trust in God, the sort of trust that will pull them through prison or hardship, the sort of trust that expects we've got a need, we'll pray about it and God will provide, and then isn't surprised when God provides? I think that's the kind of thing Paul's talking about here. People with faith like that can be a great encouragement to the rest of us in hard times and really spur us on in prayer. And also glance down quickly to verse 28 and note the gifts of teaching, of helping, and of guiding slash leading slash administration, depending what translation you've got. So we see these gifts in the list tells us that when Paul's thinking gifts, he's thinking a mix of speaking and serving, a mix of miraculous and ordinary. If Paul were writing one of these lists today, I'm sure that the gift of AV tech skills would be on it. It's a really important way of serving in church today, and getting that to work consistently without incidents, that is miraculous. If you're listening to all this and you're thinking, I'm not really sure what spiritual gifts I have, I'd encourage you to think more about this after the service. We've seen that these gifts are all different and they're given for the common good. So it doesn't matter if you can put a label on it or not. Just think about what you can do or how you can serve that not everyone can. Then think about how you could use that to serve at church. And talk with others here who know you. Sometimes it's easier for others to notice what we take for granted. Now, all this talk of gifts doesn't mean that there won't sometimes be situations where there's a need and nobody gifted is available to serve there. Sometimes you just have to step up and serve and trust God to work. But in general, being aware of your distinctives helps you serve as God's gifted you for the common good. What does that common good look like? To get that, we need to grasp what it means that diverse people have been united into one body. Paul's going to spend the next two sections helping us look at that before he returns to how this applies to the church in the final section. So then, thirdly, in verses 12 to 20, 
Paul wants us to realise that your diversity is a crucial part of Christ's united body. Paul reminds the Corinthians and us that though we're all different, we've all been united as one in Christ Jesus. The Spirit's done this uniting work. When we were baptised by the Spirit, we were united not just to Christ, we were united to each other. You thought you were just getting Jesus, but you get the church as a package deal. Whether Asian or Anglo, married or single, from high school students to retirees and everything in between. Whether you grew up Christian or you only heard the gospel as an adult, we're all one body now. And we've all got the spirit in us. We've all been given the spirit to drink. And so, though we're diverse, we are one united body and we should live that unity out. But we don't always. Verses 15 to 20 tell us one way we're tempted to doubt this unity. Paul's concerned when we think we're not a part of the body of Christ because we don't look like other Christians. For a Christian to say, I'm not like that person, so I'm not a part of the body, is as crazy as a foot saying, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. The human body deliberately has different parts, and that's a good thing. Hands are important for the body, feet are important for the body, And hands and feet being different means we can both walk and hold things. We want unity in the body, not uniformity. If the whole body were an eye, besides that being a horrifying mental image, the body wouldn't be able to hear. So, Paul says in verse 18, God's deliberately designed and placed each part of the body just where he wants it, and that applies to the church just as much as the human body. All Christians are part of the universal body of Christ, but that universal body is also expressed as local bodies like KPC. God's deliberately placed each of us, with all our gifts and differences and quirks, as part of this expression of Christ's body. So if you're sitting here and thinking, I'm not really an important part of KPC. I can't play music like that person. I can't cook dinner like that person. I can't lead youth group like that person. I can't welcome like that person. Then one one thing God's saying to you in his word tonight is, no, you are a part of my body, just as I placed you. Here at KPC, God knows that we need an Ethan and a Mel, a Sam and a Jenny, and even two Steves. I'm not saying you be you like the world does. We are saints still capable of sinning, and it's not good to be who your sinful flesh wants you to be. What I am saying is, be who God's made you to be in Christ. We as a body need you and how God's gifted you. It's worth being reminded of this. I know how easy it is to get caught up in being focused on what others have that I don't. I can look at those who have the gift of welcoming, who enjoy talking to new people and find that really easy, and think, oh, I'd be more useful to God if I were like that. Or even think, I could be a great evangelist if I was like that, but I'm not, so I'm not even going to have a go talking to non-Christians about Jesus. That kind of thinking doesn't trust that God's made me Andreas for a reason. I need to use my gifts for the common good. I may not be good at initiating conversations, but if someone else initiates the faith conversation, 
I can be good at answering questions and reading the Bible with that person. Not being great at welcoming doesn't mean that I can't be part of God's mission or Christ's body. It just means I'm better working with others, which is how God designed the thing. We're not each independent, we're interdependent. We work better together and we all benefit from each other's gifts. We need to realise that our diversities, sorry, our, yeah, our diversities are a crucial part of Christ's united body. The Spirit's united us in our diversity. Which leads us, fourthly, to verses 21 to 26, where Paul challenges us to share united concern by accommodating others' diversity. The danger in verses 15 to 20 was to doubt our unity by thinking, I'm not like them, I'm not a valued part of the body. The danger Paul addresses in verses 21 to 25 is the opposite, to think, I'm so much better than them, I don't need them in the body. Paul says, actually, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You might think your little finger's not very important, but try gripping something heavy without it. Our world seems to think that being equal must mean being the same. But throughout 1 Corinthians, there's this running theme that the wisdom of the world is foolish. In Christ's church, we can be equal but different. We need each other and our differences. So there's a really big problem in the church when we look at ourselves and we say, look at me, I'm so great. I play music for church, I lead a growth group, God really needs me. But that person, they just wash up the dishes after dinner. We don't need them in the body. The problem there is not just our arrogance. It's that we are questioning God's design in the body. To act like we don't need some people is to tell God, the way you've placed some of the body here at KPC is redundant. Who are we to tell God that? And Paul's saying more than just, we need each part of the body. Verses 23 to 25 say we should actually give special treatment to the parts that we otherwise might think are less honourable or presentable, so that there's no division in the body, so that we all have equal concern for each other. Everyone in the body is equally valuable, and our differences mean that sometimes we need to do something extra to accommodate that diversity and really demonstrate that everyone is equally valuable. Getting down to practical examples, what could this look like for our church? Thinking of some of the ways I've seen it done well in the past, it could look like taking that person who's always a bit awkward but has a passion for percussion and letting them be part of the church band some weeks, even if the way they use the triangle and the gong is a bit quirky. Or when you want to share evangelism stories up front, instead of picking the person who everyone knows is a great evangelist, you share the story of someone who's never tried this before and has taken a step, a little step, but that one's really big for them because that's worth celebrating. Or maybe it's just being deliberate in helping that person who always finds it hard to start a conversation by bringing them into a conversation each Sunday. And it's not just about accommodating our different gifts and personalities it's also showing united concern for different life situations. Paul concludes in verse 26 that if one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honoured, 
every part is honoured with it. It's easy to see that with the body metaphor. If you've just jammed your finger in a door, your whole body hurts. You don't say, oh, the rest of my body can ignore my hand hurting. But what does that look like for us as a church? I think we know how to see and do this well in the big things in life. When Monique and I and when Tom and Al got married last year, you guys were praying for us and celebrating that joy with us. And when someone's really sick or has a family tragedy, we support them together and sometimes we help out with meals or even just help each other in the busy and stressful period of moving house. But what does that look like in smaller situations? Partly, it looks like letting go of our ego and celebrating God's work, even when it's not through us. To rejoice when someone else's friend becomes a Christian, even if our non-Christian friend that we've been praying for for years still seems disinterested. To celebrate when another growth group has people who are really growing and developing and following Jesus, even if our growth group seems to just be plodding along. And partly, it looks like having our eyes open beyond our own situation and showing support to those suffering. To listen again to that friend who's really struggling with contentment and singleness, even though that's not our problem. To help out those parents who've got energetic young kids so that they can focus on church or growth group, even though they're not our kids. What a great topic of conversation over dinner to talk about how else we can be living out verses 25 to 26 here at KPC. Discussing that together helps us to grow in united concern for each other as we hear from each other's diversity and become more aware of how to accommodate it. And this rich, deep community is one of the distinctives about being in Christ that many of our non-Christian friends are so lacking in our hyper-individualistic society. So doing this community better and recognising how we're doing it will actually help make our church, uh, make the gospel more attractive to unbelievers as we, in showing how we live together under Jesus' lordship. So, so far, we've seen that we've been gifted for the common good and the spirit unites us into our diversity So we need each other and we should show that in how we live together, sharing united concern by accommodating others' diversity. Finally, in verses 27 to 31, Paul exhorts us to eagerly desire gifts that build the body. These verses should actually be a bit surprising for us. We're all different, we've all got different gifts and we're all equally valued as part of Christ's body For us, the logical conclusion, therefore, is that all gifts are equally valuable. But Paul says in verse 28 that some gifts are more important than others, specifically apostles, prophets, and teachers, and then everything else. And then he tells us to eagerly desire the greater gifts, as if we can pick which ones we get. And then he says he's going to show us a way even more excellent than those greater gifts. Are you confused yet? Our problem here is that we're in a society who thinks your value is in what you do, that the CEO is more valuable than the cleaner. So when Paul says everyone's equal in Christ, we think, great, that means all gifts are equal too. But Paul wants us to hold 
everyone's equal in Christ, together with the truth that some gifts are more valuable for the body. Now, these verses uh, set up the next two chapters in Paul's argument, so it helps to glance ahead to make sense of what he's saying here. If you glance at chapter 13, Paul's most excellent way is love. More important than what gift you have is using it in love. And chapter 14 circles back to apply this to gifts, and it starts by saying, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And when we read on, we see that's because prophecy, unlike tongues, is a gift which builds up the body of Christ. If we take this back into chapter 12, we notice that the three gifts that Paul highlights as important for the church are word-based gifts, proclaiming God's word for the church to build it up. Back in verse 7, the Spirit gave us these gifts for the common good, and now we see that using our gifts for the common good means using our gifts to serve others in the body to build up the body. And hearing from God's word fuels that, because it's the gospel which transforms us and grows us in Christ-likeness, building us up in maturity in him. So whatever gifts you have, think about how you can be using them, not for your own honour, but to serve and build up the body in love, because that's why they were given to you. It is true that the Spirit distributes each gift as he will, verse 11, but it's still good to desire to be zealous for the gifts that are most helpful for building others up. That applies corporately. We should encourage those who have the gifts that build others up. Our expression of Christ's body here at KPC would be in trouble if there was no one to teach us the word each week. But this also applies individually. We should eagerly desire the gifts best for each of us to build up the body. And that'll be different for different people. How I, as Andreas, build up people won't be identical to how you build up people, even if we have similar gifts. The gift of teaching is not just preaching up the front. It's also leading in growth group, teaching the Bible to youth and kids, reading the Bible one-to-one with a younger Christian. Different people will have different expressions of that. And, Paul's clear in verse 29, we're not all prophets or teachers, and none of us are the original 12 apostles that Jesus authoritatively uh, set out to witness him. That doesn't mean that our gifts aren't helpful to build up the body, even if we aren't one of those gifts. So for all of us, whatever our gifts, keep thinking about how, in love, you can use those gifts to serve and to build up the body and desire to grow in your ability to do that. Not so you look good, but so that you can better serve Jesus as Lord by building up his body. We've seen today that our God-given diversity is for serving each other and building up Christ's united body. We need you, you need us, and we're all united by the Spirit into one body of Jesus our Lord. Praise God, who's placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. May that be how we live and serve together here at KPC. Amen.